Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Live from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the Total Education Show, the talk shop for teachers, parents, and administrators. Here's your host of the show, Neil Haley, the Total Tutor. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show. You can check me out on Twitter at TotalTutorNeilHaley.com. And everyone remembers her from Two and a Half Men, Melrose Place, according to Jim. But now we're about to chat with her about this Hallmark Mystery Series. So I'm excited to welcome to the program Courtney Thorne-Smith. Courtney, thanks for calling. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. We're going to talk today about Sight Unseen and Emma Fielding Mystery. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, first question, Courtney, because I wanted to, we talked about all these great shows you've been on, but I look back at your bio, Lucas. Now, what an amazing experience that was and how that film speaks to us today as well. Wouldn't you agree? Exactly. You know, that was, I recently had the director, David Seltzer, over for dinner because I was acting in a theater company in Northern California. I was in high school, and I thought, well, I'm never going to be able to be a professional actor because, you know, that never happened. So I'm just going to act in theater companies in high school and get it out of my system. And then they had this open casting call in San Francisco for this movie, which never happened. And some other kids from my theater company and I went down and auditioned in a church basement in San Francisco. Oh, wow. And from that, I got a screen test. And from that, I got a movie. So I I literally owe my career to David Seltzer. He plucked me out of a church basement in San Francisco. See, that's a tremendous story. But, I mean, think about that film, Lucas, and now how we're looking at bullying still today. And we're we're looking at, you know... uh, considering suicide, all these things, all these things were really uh, part of that film and in so many ways, Courtney, wasn't it? Well, unfortunately, it's, it's universal, right? We've all had that feeling. We've all, I mean, I, I, I think some people have been the bully, but I think most of us have felt bullied in some way throughout our lives, teased, and we felt like the underdog. So it's a story we all relate to. How many movies are about the underdog making it, right? Because right. it touches all of our hearts. We've all had that feeling. Uh, definitely, and uh, it's a film that they need to have a reunion with you guys because you were in an all-star cast, weren't you, Courtney? For sure, for the, your first first big film. We really should, yeah. I mean, sadly, obviously, Corey Haim couldn't make it, but, yeah. but the rest of us could. It would be fun. I love that reunions are happening now. I love that that's a new thing because I want to see everybody. I want everybody. <laughs> I have so many casts. That I'd like to get together with. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's now talk about the your hallmark mystery, and you play an archaeologist. So tell us a little bit about your character and stuff. Again, in this uh, m- this movie is uh, again based on a best selling book, right? Correct. That's a series. Right. So Dana Cameron wrote um, a series of books about Emma Fielding. Dana Cameron is an archaeologist and an archaeology professor, so she has a lot of great knowledge that she puts into those books. It was just a treasure trove for me as an actor to get to read them. And I, I love this character. Emma is independent and eccentric. She loves her work. She loves what she does. She's a very strong individual woman, which I thought would be great fun to play. You know, it's not based on 
who she's going to get or what romance. There might be romance in the future, but that's mm-hmm. not what her story's about. And in this first story, Sight Unseen, she goes back to the town where she spent summers with her father, who's also an archaeologist. And she's trying to prove his theory, which is that there was a colony there before Jamestown. And his peers had made fun of him, and they didn't believe that he was true, and he died with this unproven, so she wants to go and honor his legacy. And in the meantime, she runs into an old romance, she runs into people from her childhood, and she steps on a lot of toes, and there the drama ensues. Because you find a murder, and then look out, and a, a body, and then... And then your character has to kind of change the way she is, because as an archaeologist, you discover what happened a long time ago. Well, now she has to discover who who committed this murder, and she's going to get herself in a lot of trouble because of that, right? Right. Well, she's also studied forensics, so she really does know what she's talking about. She can't walk away from a mystery, because archaeologists are people who love mysteries. There's an FBI agent played by James Tupper who comes in to handle the case, and Emma drives him crazy because she keeps trying to interject herself into the mystery, but the prop into the investigation. But he can't ignore her because she does have a lot of important information. She does know what she's talking about. So as much as he tries to sort of push her off, he can't resist because she keeps saying, giving them information that they need. Which is so much fun to play. You know, that relationship between between Emma and Agent Connor was so much fun for us to play. It d- definitely uh, seems like it for sure. And is this a different character for you, Courtney, in a way? Uh, looking back at some of the characters you've had playing an archaeologist? She's a very different character. And I've always wanted to do a show like this. But the, the problem is, for the mysteries, generally you're working 14 hours a day, 10 months a year. And I'm a mom, and I just didn't want to be away that much. So... I used to think, oh, I longed for the days when they had Colombo and McMillan and wife, and they'd do three a year, and you could be a mom most of the time. And, and all of a sudden, Hallmark brought them back. It was like an answer to my prayers. And are you kidding? I said, yes, you do three a year, you work three weeks at a time, and the rest of the time I get to be home being a mom. So I get to have both sides of myself. I get to have the side of myself that's an actor be alive, and I get to the side of myself that's a mom be alive. So it's really great to get to honor both sides of me. And and you look at all these great shows you were on, people would say, where did Courtney go, right? And I know you uh, guest starred uh, in one episode of uh, Fresh Off the Boat, which is, I love that show, but uh, really, you That's are just trying, it's a phenomenal show. I, I interviewed Forrest Wheeler, what a great, great kid he is, he's an awesome guy. And it's right. just, and they're amazing, those kids. Aren't they? Oh, it's one of our favorite shows. But, Courtney, the thing is that you you have these opportunities now with the way this business has changed. You don't have to always be in Hollywood. You can film different places. You could take off and look at this opportunity with Hallmark. Now, 20 years ago, this is not out there like it is today with all these different streams. Oh, it's so different now. I think it's an exciting time to be an actor because you can do so many different things and there are shorter runs. You know, so you don't have to work 10 months a year. You could do, you could really uh, take your pick of schedules. And for, you know, the Two and a Half Men happened after I had Jack, and that was great. So I was a recurring guest on there for five years. So I did half the episode for five years, which was absolutely perfect, but it's difficult to find those jobs. I mean, that's, that's lightning in a bottle. So when this came around, uh, it just felt like such a gift. 
Exactly. And and so you, you always have that acting bug, but your family's important, and that's an important part. And I think that's what Hallmark brings to the table, bringing uh, a lot of great, talented people in, in, in that are new, but also ones that have been around into the scene because that, the, of the schedule. And it's perfect for moms. And, and again— Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. My friend Kimberly Williams Paisley was doing did the one after me. So she was coming in as I was leaving. Unfortunately, we didn't overlap, but she's in the same situation. She's a mom. She wants to spend most of her time with her kids, but she also wants to work. I mean, there's also we're actors, and we've been doing this a long time, and I found myself missing it. And my son is nine now, so he's getting more oh, independent. Yeah. And I thought, boy, I don't want to be lurking around <laughs> saying, hey, what are you doing? He wanted some time to himself, but I wanted to bring this back to life. So really good timing for me. And you got to love Hallmark, right, Courtney? You got to love Hallmark and how they're very... Uh, I yeah, love Hallmark. Yeah. They know what they're doing. They tell stories for women, about women. They respect women. It's really a great place to work. They really know who they are, and they, they stay true to it, which I really respect. I think it's an extraordinary company. And last question, Courtney, what do you think you're best known for when you're out on the streets getting recognized and stuff? Is it different audiences that remember you from what, what you've been in? Different audiences, but I but I think the most, it's Mellow's Place. Yes. It's funny because we're coming up, believe it or not, on the 25th anniversary wow. of Mellow's Place. And I think it's because it was a time in people's lives. People got together with friends to watch it. So they have, it, it, it lives in their heart as a memory of something they did with their friends. So people are still most impacted by that. All right. Well, we talked about a lot of different things in a short interview, but the best place we can find information on you, everyone needs to tune in June 4th at 9 p.m. Eastern. But also, where can we find info on you, Courtney, for people to check you out? Where can we go? Uh, no, that's it. That's it. Although I will be, I, they tell me I will be live tweeting, but first they have to teach me how. So I'm sure that information will be forthcoming. <laughs> Are you on Twitter? Are you on Instagram? Any of those places? I'm not. I am not. I'm the generation before social media. <laughs> Don't understand it. Yeah, be ready. It's it's the it's the wave of the future. It'll help you a lot. And uh, everyone will need to check out and start just hashtagging Courtney Thorne Smith right before the episode. And maybe we'll see her on Twitter. Okay. Well, good talking to you, Courtney. Thanks for calling. Thanks so much. Take care. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye bye. See you. Bye bye. You're listening to the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show. You can check me out on Twitter at TotalTutor and NeilHaley.com. And uh, I am excited to talk to this guy today. We all know him from History Channel's Vikings, but also TNT's Animal Kingdom, Ben Robson. Ben, thanks for calling. I appreciate you coming on the show. Good, bud. I'm good. How are you? Fantastic, Ben. Uh, I wanted to... um, really talk to you about being killed off. I remember the days when I was a professional wrestler and I died. And then I know your experience on Vikings was amazing. The history channels of Vikings, but to die, is that a dream of an actor at one point to get killed off in a, in a way, I guess it's cause it's so uh, somber and in a way it, it stinks that you're gone, but yet it also is so cool because of the buzz, right? Um, I mean, honestly, it was—I was actually pretty uh, devastated when I was coming out. Like, I—I I really loved being part of the show. So, um, you know, I think you know when you work on a show like that, it's—it's it's obviously something where no one has a um, a guaranteed life. I mean, I think so many people come in and out of that show, and that's kind of what keeps it amazing. It keeps 
the audience guessing the entire time, and even the actors, you just you were literally at the mercy of the, of the pen and the paper. But um, I felt very lucky that I had a really sort of significant death, which I know is kind of a weird thing to say, but um, it was it was kind of a great moment, and um, I felt quite poignant in, in terms of the story of, of how it was being told. But it was uh, it, it is it's a weird moment to play um, a death, and, and actually I had to do it twice that year because I did it in. Spoiler on a, on a on a movie I played called The Boy at the same time that year, but um, no, it was it's always a weird thing. Um, but I, I um, also kind of enjoyable at the same time. You kind of get to see how it is, and, and I got to do something pretty special with uh, Catherine Winnick, who played Lagos and on that. So it was it was it was fun. But as you said, it's always kind of a weird moment. It's it's a devastating thing to two ways. One way as an actor, you always love a, a way to, to be able to have something that's so poignant of dying, but ultimately, ultimately, and how exciting when that happened in a way, but also sad because you love working on the show. Oh, definitely, and you know, I think as well. So I only spent sort of a, you know a good season on that, and it was you know I was another three months in, so you kind of. Um, you get so immersed in the world, and not only the one that you're filming in, but also because we're on location, you know, just all the friends you make in, in such a community. It's like being at school to a certain extent. So it's kind of that wild thing that you do when you, when you work in, in jobs like that, where all of a sudden you go from being best friends and seeing them every day to, you know, kind of good luck in life or something you when you see it. Um, it's can be really difficult because... Obviously, everyone lives all around the world. I mean, I lived in LA, and other people lived in Australia, and Canada, and England, and, and France. It was, it's, it's. Um, I think that's kind of the sad part of it. You, you, you can spend so much time with people who are very close to you, and then all of a sudden, it's, it becomes very difficult to keep in touch with people on a face-to-face value. I mean, obviously, we're very lucky. You, you think of a show and the opportunities, but this show right now, TNT's Animal Kingdom, I uh, watched the trailer season one and then also season season two, and I'm going to be hooked. Just because I interviewed you, I'm going to watch this show, trust me. And I was absolutely uh, uh, blown away about uh, the story. Because to think about a kid moving from one place to the next and thrown into this crime family, and especially your character, Ben, it's 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 so real for this kid. He loses his mom, and then he's thrown into the thrown to these relatives that he th- and he's and he's absolutely shocked at how crazy and controlling it is, right? It is. I mean, look, uh, you know, Finn Cole does, a, does an amazing uh, job. He, he plays his characters. You're talking about he comes in from um, a very different world and, and then gets dropped into this world of this really incredibly dysfunctional family, which is led by Alan Barkin. Um, and it is. It's, it's wild. And you know, I play a character who really could not be more extreme than, than anyone else. He, you know, he's, he's, he's crazy... Um, adrenaline junkie, but I just think in, in, in addicts in every sense, whether it's drugs, sex, uh, rock and roll, or whatever it might be, he just sort of pushes it to the extreme. So when his character comes in and he's um, brought up in front of this guy along along with the rest of them, and you know, Sean Hannity does a great role playing Pope, who's obviously plays someone who's not mentally well either. It's it's, it's just a world away from what he, what he knows and. And I think that's kind of what makes the show such an interesting thing. It's, it's sort of the uh, just how this family operates and, and, and the interaction between each other. And I think when his character comes in, it's just 
the most mind blowing experience of like what have I just fallen into? I have no one else to turn to. I'm in I'm in this crazy dysfunctional family who 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 are the biggest crime family in, in the area and it's it is, it's it's a mad world that he, he walks into, but also at the same time one that's very fun to watch. It, it seems like it. I'm going to put it on my list, Ben. We're going to put the DVR type thing or, you know, go back on demand to watch this again. Uh, and, and that's the fabulous thing about this. And and honestly, playing a character like the difference between Vikings and then having to play an American character and going and, and changing. that is that a challenge, especially from growing up uh, not in the United States and to play a character like this character? Yeah, it is. I mean, look, you know, I think every character is a challenge. I mean, I would say to, to, to friends as well, you know, when you play a character, you have to try and find these things super quickly, and yet these characters are essentially to be 30 years old. You have to find 30, 30 years of a life in someone to understand and play. And, and you know, Vikings was obviously in a very different period of time to claim it today as uh, SoCal underworld crime families. Um, it's, it's always a challenge to play people, but it's, it's also something that I really enjoyed getting into, just trying to find the psychology of, of, of what you're playing and, and, and really the environment you're existing in with that character. And, um, it's fun. I mean, that's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, 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 uh, it's definitely a change moving from playing on, uh, on horses to, to motorbikes and shields to surfboards it's um it's it's the one that i kind of welcome especially in the costume i need to help putting on and then all of a sudden i get to walk around in board shorts and then the son of california so <laughs> yeah. it's kind of a welcome change to a, a, a different shoot for sure again may 30th tuesday 9 p.m eastern uh the premiere of animal kingdom on tnt where can we find information on you ben as well where can we uh check you out as well where can we go where can we go? Um, I'm on a, also my Instagram, which is uh, Robert Ben, or BBO Ben. And then, other than that, um, obviously, you said season two, we have season one, the Vikings, and then working on getting some stuff in the hiatus for the next, uh, next six months. So I'll let you know what I know. That's the reason I'll give you another job. All right, Ben, thanks for calling. Appreciate you calling. Thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right, take care. Bye bye. You're listening to The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show. You can check me out on Twitter at TotalTutor and NeilHaley.com. And this is a great segment for myself being a former educator, owns a tutoring and consulting company, and uh, also a former professional athlete. This this guest is perfect for my show and also perfect because we both are doing the same thing, interviewing people as well. So I'm excited to welcome the program from ESPN Sports Science, John Brenkis, and also... The, the your new podcast, The Brink of Midnight. John, thanks for calling, and how are you? I'm doing so so awesome this morning. I can't I can't thank you enough for all your support. Well, absolutely, John. Let's kind of talk about how the sports science thing started. I um and and the whole process. Do you have a science background, by the way? Yeah, my formal education actually is at the University of Virginia in rhetoric, communication studies, the theory of the argument. I formed a production company that specialized in sports and science TV because those were my two genuine passions. So, you know, fast forward over, you know, many years of making sports TV and making science TV, we ended up blending those two things together 
started out on Fox Sports, won three Emmys, um, you know, then moved over to ESPN, and we're now in season 10, having done over 1,500 segments, won another three Emmys. Um, and I've just been incredibly fortunate um, to be able to, you know, I created the project, I'm hosting the project, and been incredibly fortunate to have a front row seat into sort of the exploiting field of sports science. And it's such a great connection. I mean, I was watching a couple segments because I remember you all the time. And when I'm watching ESPN, but I remember watching the, you know, the, the longer version of the show. What's amazing is just the connections you're able to make, John. The connections that you're teaching science while also showing how athletic and unbelievable these athletes are, especially when they come into your laboratory or your laboratory in the way of your studios and ESPN. ESPN and and get to work them out like I saw with yep. K- KD. That was awesome. Yeah, it, you know, we're, I'm really fortunate in that we we had a vision of creating sports science, and really, honestly, it was. I mean, it was literally we uh, debuted in 2007. And you think back at that time, I mean, the yeah. amount of negative television that was out there. I, I just said, you know, I think people want to be entertained but educated at the same time. And I think there's a market for it. And even when we first sold the show to Fox Sports, they really didn't want to call it sports science because they thought it was too boring of a name. And I said, I think you're you're selling people short. I think they want exactly this. They want to know about the science behind what they're watching in sports just to really marvel at humanity and what humans are capable of doing. Absolutely. And then the backstory that you get to see when you film one of these and getting to talk to the athletes. And I guess that segues right in, John, to your new podcast, because I'm sure you got to know a lot of the athletes who came that you worked with and worked out and uh, and and did experiments with. Right. And kind of got to know them uh, off off air. And then that really got you interested in wanting to tell people more their backstories. Right. Exactly. I mean, the world today is so negative. I mean, you can't read anything on the news, you know, a news feed without just being depressed. Yes. Social media is just vicious. So really getting to know these athletes, is the big, when people say, what's the difference between good and great? You know, how do these people make it? Look, they're just human, and they had their own struggles. They had their own ups and downs. But all of them, all of them and all of us, had that critical brink of midnight moment in our lives where from that point forward, everything was different. And the podcast is designed to really spread positive energy and inspirational messages from people that everybody knows um, and to hear how human they are. And what's been, what, what's been most gratifying, first of all, the response has been overwhelming. Second of all, the guests are telling stories we really never told anybody. No, no. Like no one ever sits down and asked these kind of questions. Ray Lewis, he, he was a good friend of mine, you know, I said to him, have you ever told anybody this story? He's like, no one's ever been in a position to ask me these questions. <laughs> and but we're yeah. diving into his childhood, and he's like, I've never had anybody ask me questions, and I've never been comfortable enough really to talk to somebody. He's like, it's this unique chemistry that I've been able to develop, but it also extends far beyond sports. Remember, I owned a production company and did a lot of projects with a lot of other people. So, you know, there's people like Rob Riggle and Bill Ingvall and Damon John and Dr. Drew and wow. lots of people, you know, from different different walks of life. So, 
Um, it's not just a sports uh, podcast by any means. It's an inspirational podcast exactly. for people to really become inspired on recognizing a brink of midnight moment in their own life. Exactly. And that's the thing. You're right, John. When I got the chance to interview Mel Brooks, I was able to get a longer interview with him and ask the right questions. Not like a radio tour interview where it's like eight minutes. I got to sit down and talk to him for 17 or 18 minutes. Some of these guys, 35 minutes. And when you get these opportunities, you can ask questions that no one has really asked them. And they really want to open up because they're used to that just quick soundbite. All those people you mentioned, they do the they do the TV deal. They do all these different interviews. They do the quick Get on the phone, talk to somebody, but guess what happens? They never really get to open up to people and truly tell them who they are. Exactly. And, you know, when you dig deep, like I've been able to do, it's amazing the emotion that comes out. It's amazing yeah. how human, when, when, you know, we, we as a society put celebrities up on a pedestal, they're human just like you and I. They have emotions, they have ups, they have successes, they have failures. And it's really fascinating to hear about what are the most, I'm not interested in what was it like to, you know, win a Super Bowl. Like those, right. those questions have been asked. The question, the real question is what even put you on that path? Like what was the, exactly. the blink of midnight moment that put you on that path? Because had you not been put on that path, your life would never have been the same. Yeah, another, another another point, John, is I, I got the chance to Roger Staubach. He talked about how he coined the Hail Mary. You don't get those opportunities always to get those answers, and that's what's so fun when you have a longer interview uh, process. So, and your your guest your guest coming up today that's available is Marshawn Lynch. I cannot believe it. Now, how are you going to get him to open up, John? You got some prepping to do. You do had prepping to do for that interview, didn't you? <laughs> I did, you know, I have had the great fortune of becoming good friends with Marshawn. You know, we literally met him in the first year um, we were on ESPN in 2010, and we've had a very strong seven-year friendship. And what's fascinating that you're going to hear in the Marshawn Lynch podcast that launched today is him opening up about his view on how to live. And all I can tell you is that he is so authentic. When you finish listening to that podcast, you're going to look back at everything you know about him and say, you know what? I get it. He wants to be true to himself, and he wants to be true to who he, what he believes is the right thing to do. You know, people like to stand back and throw darts. This is a guy that's to be, to be held up as an example of being genuinely an authentic human being. And it's interesting, John, when you get them a longer period of time, they are authentic human beings. And that's the unbelievable thing about it. But John, you're a celebrity yourself. Don't sell yourself short. We can check you out on ESPN all the time at ESPN.com slash sports science. And where can we go ahead and download the podcast? Listen, subscribe to the podcast now, John, where can we go? Yep, you can go to Brink, B-R-I-N-K, of Midnight.com, and everything is there. You can get a Stitcher, iTunes. You can search for it on any of the the podcast platforms, um, you know, on iTunes. Type in Brink, the Brink of Midnight podcast. You um, also can follow me on social media at John Brinkus, B-R-E-N-K-U-S underscore. You can also follow uh, Brink of Midnight on all, all social platforms. Just at Brink, B-R-I-N-K, of Midnight. I think it's something that, you know, the response is that overwhelming. People are so 
excited about having refreshing, positive messages um, that really are, 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 it's really penetrating. We're very grateful um, that we're not alone. We want, we all want to be inspired, I think. And, you know, hopefully this is just one vehicle in, in everyone's life that can help them. Um, really recognize their own brink of midnight moments in their lives. Well, absolutely, John. Thanks for calling. Uh, best of luck. Thanks for coming on the show. Love to chat with you longer sometime. So we'll have that interview someday, okay? Take care, John. Excellent. All right, All right take care. Bye-bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show. You can check me out on Twitter at TotalTutor and NeilHaley.com. And, you know, I love talking history. And music history, I think it shapes the world in so many ways. People look back and they say to themselves, you know, I I remember when, I remember when uh, I heard this song. And this is what Rob gets paid to do all the time, being a Rolling Stone uh, columnist. And he has a newest book, Dreaming the Beatles. So I'm excited to welcome the program, Rob Sheffield. Rob, thanks for calling. How are you? Hey, thanks. Great to talk to you. Absolutely, Rob. Now, your life uh, covering the Beatles, I mean, covering uh, musicians and stuff, what a great job working uh, uh, for the Rolling Stone, right? It must be a dream job for sure. It's fun, yeah. (laughs) You have thousands of stories, don't you, Rob, about uh, just of what you've done as a journalist, don't you? It's, it's not. I, I got to say, interviewing Stevie Nicks a few years ago was just a completely mind-blowing experience. She's she's someone who is absolutely in character all the time. I, it, it's amazing that these characters, you love their music, and, and it's fun to hear what they have to say about it. Most definitely. Now, the Beatles. Uh, I, I I don't know if you were alive at all during the Beatles' uh, heyday. I was not. So uh, what what is your experience of why writing this book about Dreaming the Beatles? Well, I wanted to write a book for Beatles fans like you and me, who, you know, who weren't there. And I, I wanted to write a book Beatles that wasn't a book about the 60s, but, you know, the way the Beatles kept happening in the 70s and the 80s and 90s and today, long after they broke up. And it's amazing how there's no sense that this music belongs to the past. And that's the, you know, I, I grew up in the 70s and, you know, and, and my parents then would, would laugh when my sisters and I would call the Beatles our favorite band. And, and our parents would say, you know, don't you know this band broke up? They don't exist anymore. They're over. He said, we don't care. They're still our favorite band. And <laughs> it's really funny to see how that's still going on today. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the songs just are still iconic today. Anytime you hear a specific Beatles song, there are Beatles fans all over the world that never grow up, grew up listening to the Beatles, and yet they're fans, and that's the exciting thing. But the, the story of the Beatles, which again, you're talking about dreaming the Beatles, what you wrote in your book is that's really interesting, is just how they got their big break. It's interesting, isn't it, Rob? Yeah, they, they, um, they, they came from nowhere, it's just, it's really kind of amazing. You think of, you know, it's, it's Liverpool and, and these boys, John and Paul, are growing up and, and they find out that they like writing songs and they join a band together. And they're teenage boys who just, they form this friendship that, that follows them around for the rest of their life and inspires them for the rest of their life. And it's really funny that with their different personalities, they were just the only two boys in town who wrote songs and they had a bit of heartbreak in common. And somehow they turned that into this friendship that gave birth to this band that, that has been changing the world ever since. 
It's been changing the world ever since. And then once they became the biggest group ever, uh, I guess the American invasion, uh, uh, to come to America, that must have been just an unbelievable time when you've studied to write this book to find out how crazy it was once they got to the States. Yes, it was more than anything they could have been prepared for. And, and funny how it, it just uh, just completely haunted them for the rest of their lives and also inspired them. And, and the fact that they came to this country that you know was bigger than they could have dreamed of and had just touched like all these fans in this, in this massive way. And it's funny that it's still like that now. I went to Paul last summer, and it was... Amazing to see the audience, all, all all different generations, all different ages, all different cultures, all different personality types, and all these people just here to enjoy these songs. And Paul played for three hours or something like that. It was amazing to see how hard he was working, how hard he was driving himself. He played something like 40 songs, and oh he ended by playing wow. Side 2 of Abbey Road all the way through. And I thought they were going to have to drag him off stage at the end. It's so inspiring to see him. Still, with so much enthusiasm and passion for it, and this is a guy who's been doing it for 50 years. Doing it for 50 years and still has that passion and performance. That's what you learned about uh, writing this book is that they love to perform, right? They, they came from nowhere, but they just performing is just something that, that, that they love to do, right? Yeah, and, and, and that they love being Beatles and... You listen to an album like Revolver or Rubber Soul, and you can hear how strong their friendship is and how they're just trying to crack each other up and they're stealing ideas from each other and trading all these in-jokes. And just the sense that these four boys were so close and that they were on this wavelength that everybody around them could sense, even if, if we couldn't share it, and that they basically turned the whole world into that community. Turn the whole world into that community. And then the the thing that I was reading up on your book is they got more popular once they broke up. How did they break up, Rob? I have no idea how that happened. Why did that group break up? It's really weird how by the end that, that John and Paul friendship just kind of fell apart. So by the end, they're, they're working on this record that they started and abandoned a year earlier, Get Back, and they turn it into Let It Be. And they've got all these hours of, of tapes that, you know, that none of them want to touch, and they hand it to Phil Spector. And Paul does a solo album, and they fight over when the solo album comes out, and Paul releases a, a Q&A when he, when announcing that he's left the band. And that it was so sudden and so abrupt and, and so ugly at the end after after this incredibly beautiful friendship that had healed them for all these years. And, and that was something that they had to... to to grieve together, and and they they kept grieving through the seventies. And it was amazing that even in the seventies, when they went years at a time without seeing each other, that that bond still kind of followed them around. It followed them around, and I guess that they got too big for their britches in certain ways. That they listened to the press, and that they, uh, in a lot of ways, became so iconic that they forgot about where they came from. It sounds like. Yeah, and that you know. They tried so hard in the 70s to establish their independent identities, but you know, the, the fact that they created all this beautiful music together with the Beatles meant that they were sort of stuck with each other. John had this great quote in 1975 where he said, if I took up ballet dancing, they'd be comparing my ballet dancing with Paul Bowling. <laughs> Whatever they did the rest of their lives, 
you know, people still thought of the Beatles. And there's a really beautiful recording from the, the last time John was on a concert stage was he, he did a guest spot with Elton John because they did a song together, Whatever Gets You Through the Night. And Elton bet John that if it hit number one, John had to come out and sing it with Elton on stage in New York. And John never thought that the song would hit number one, but it did. So he comes out and does the song with Elton. And, and then they end with, with the Beatles song, I Saw Her Standing There. And, and Paul introduces it. We're I mean, just going to do one more number. This is a song by an old estranged fiancé of mine <laughs> named Paul. It's, it's so beautiful that at that moment, you know, he yeah. has that little shout out to Paul in that in that moment. It's incredibly beautiful to me. Incredibly beautiful. Where can we uh, find information on your book, Rob? Purchase your book and learn more about you. I know probably it's available on Amazon, all finer bookstores. But is there a website you people can check out about you and stuff like that? They can get the book. Yeah, at uh, robsheffield.com. You can find all the info. All right, Rob. Well, thanks for calling. Thanks for taking the time to come on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, June 1st is a big date, uh, the anniversary of, of a 50th anniversary of Sgt. Pepper. So what a time to talk about this book, have this book come out. And Beatles fans are everywhere. So everyone needs to pick up the book if they're a Beatles fan. So thanks again for calling, Rob, and take care. Thank you so much. Great to talk to you. Great talking to you as well. Thanks for taking the time. Appreciate it. Okay. See you later. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show. You can check me out on Twitter at TotalTutor and NeilHaley.com. And I tell you, this uh, is like the big buzz. I've been watching it on when I've been watching all my favorite shows on ABC. So I'm excited to welcome the program Jennifer Shemke of ABC's Dirty Dancing. Jennifer, thanks for calling. How are you? Yes. You're, ex- You're welcome. Thank you. I'm doing great. How are you? Fantastic. You got to be excited uh, about tonight. I mean, especially with the, the the we all loved Dirty Dancing when it first came out, and to have this remake and such a talented cast, you got to be excited about tonight. I am so excited. Yeah, I don't quite know what to do with myself. I think I'm going to go to a Korean spa and relax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm super excited. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure for sure. So tell me specifically the story of how you auditioned for this, and then we'll we'll talk about your character. Yeah, so um, it was really exciting. I actually was in New York, um, and my agent in New Orleans sent me uh, the audition, so I had to put it on tape. Um, and my friend Izzy, who is a dear friend of mine and also an actor, she she's very technically savvy, so she was like, I'll tape you. So she came over. We had a few laughs, you know, and I kind of um, dressed myself in a way that I thought spoke to to the the era and so forth. And um, and we just laid down a few takes, and the rest was history. Awesome. And then when you heard the call, you're like, holy cow, and you heard about what was happening. You're like, oh, wow, a remake of something like this? Yeah. Yeah. Totally, totally. And the... The um, the film had such a definite presence in my in my preteen years and you know and beyond. Um, it was one of those projects that I thought, oh my gosh, this is like this is sent from the celestial atmosphere. I you know if if this were mine, I would be so over the moon. So um, yeah, I, I kind of after the audition, I you know I put the script um, in a little uh, closet, um, but I always kept this kind of sparkly hope in my heart. Um, yeah, and when, when I got the role, I was actually visiting my family in Northern California, 
and um and uh it was it was just fabulous it was i think it was my mom's birthday actually so oh wow like a double celebration all right so tell me about your character now and, and kind of remind us of that character in the movie is is it the same character that was in the, the movie your character right so actually so the character's name is esther feinberg and um she's new to this version um although i i'd like to think of her as um you know as being in the original but just you know you didn't you didn't hear from her at all um or you weren't expressly aware of her presence um but definitely in an atmospheric sense someone like esther feinberg was in the original um i think that in this version the the writers were really smart to um to stick very close to the original scripts but also expand some of the relationships and themes um just to differentiate it enough and not you know try and make it this carbon copy but more of an homage um, and so I think that our characters, um, my, my character and my husband, Leon Feinberg's characters, um, were written in in order to support the expanded um, focus on the relationship of baby's parents. Yes. Um, I think that our characters are sort of a what not to do uh, when it comes to marriage. <laughs> so your characters are thrown in compared to when baby's parents were more of a so interesting the, the putting this out there and knowing more of a backstory in this story compared to the movie it sounds like that's what they wanted. Uh, could you say that one more time? I'm the backstory sorry. they wanted. The, they wanted the backstory. Sorry, that's okay. No, um, they I'm wanted. They want Jennifer. They wanted more of a backstory a little bit with some of the new characters created right. for this. Yeah. Right. Exactly, exactly. So, right. So they, um, I think that they, yeah, they wanted more of a backstory and more of a a look into some of the characters that you loved, but you didn't really get their point of view as much, you know, with so much from baby's perspective. Um, So you kind of get to see where other characters are coming from in relation to that. And this is an all-star cast for people that have not heard about tonight. So tell us some of the major characters that are uh, the stars that are going to be in this in, in this uh, film. It, it's it's uh, this original. Uh, uh, tell us. I mean, I, like I saw the list and I was like, holy cow! It's a really really good cast. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, I, when I when the audition came my way, um, I, I wasn't you know privy to all of the. A you know megawatt uh, star power that was involved. Um, it's it's really in no particular order. Deborah Messing and Katie Segal and uh, Billy D. Williams of all people. Wow. Um, yeah. Sarah Highland, of course Abigail Breslin, um, and then I think they were really wise to cast a newcomer as um, as Johnny. You know, uh, so that uh, you know people weren't making such a strong star connection between you know the actor playing him and, and Patrick Swayze. Um, but, uh, and then it was really kind of cool because, because, um, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm getting it. I'm actually getting a ticket right now in my car. Uh, (laughs) I think that the man issuing me the ticket didn't know that I was in the car and he thought, Oh my goodness, how embarrassing. We might have to revisit this, this part of the interview or maybe this lens is some color. Now, it, it, it always blends um, color. Trust me, you wouldn't believe the people I've interviewed in different positions in, in my career. Don't worry about it. No, it's fine. I just feel bad for you. No, so so let's let's segue. Yeah, yeah, let, let's segue away from ABC's Dirty Dancing. Everyone's tuned in tonight, but you have two major things also coming up. You you play Gidget in in a, uh, tell us a little bit about that 
uh, project and what's happening. Uh, the character Gidget you're going to play the, 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 as a, uh, a happy therapist in, in a, an anticipated show <laughs> called uh, Magic Funhouse. So tell us about Magic Funhouse. Yes. Okay. So this is kind of a fabulous, a fabulous project. Um, so Magic Funhouse is the brainchild of a gentleman named Brandon Rogers, um, who's I, I believe a comedic genius and just a visionary. Um, and I met him when he was kind of before he he uh, blew up, so to speak, uh, at a film festival in Northern California, where we both had films that we've written and directed. And in the film that I had in the in the festival. I wrote a little cameo in for myself, and he so loved that my work in that that he said, you know, please keep in touch. Um, and then fast forward to 2016, he blew up on YouTube, uh, and rightfully so. He's been at it a long time, making these amazing, hilarious videos, and um, and got funding to do this show, Magic Funhouse, which is on fullscreen.com, um, sort of a, a Netflix-esque, um, similar, you know, uh, set up to Netflix, so it's called fullscreen.com. And so he wrote me a role in season one, uh, which is Gidget, who is a, she's a laughter therapist. Um, she's based on one of the um, comedy characters that I wrote for myself. I That's something I do. Oh, cool. I write these different comedic characters. And so he kind of had one of my characters, Patty, in mind for creating Gidget. Um, but she's, she's a laughter therapist with a definite uh, dark secret side um, and then in season two, I just finished my role in season two, um, and that's a completely different character named Mama Gladys. And I don't want to give too much away about her, but she's she's pretty antithetical to Gidget. Um, definitely oh, cool. a, a harsh and maniacal presence um, in that in that show. But I, I really recommend watching Magic Funhouse if you get if you get a chance. It's it's a real ride. And also, you're creating content as well based on a novel. Tell us about that, too. Yes. Yeah. Did you say based on a novel? Oh, I think you're referring to, you may be referring to a novel that I, I co-authored um, called Illegitimate, which is available on Kindle. Um, that was really um, amazing. It wasn't my story. Uh, it's the story of a woman uh, who, in 19, late 1960s, before Roe versus Wade, she gets pregnant in high school, and uh, she's just this nice, you know, wholesome girl from San Diego, um, and, and she finds herself in this situation, and she is sent to a, a Salvation Army run kind of home for wayward girls, and it's just a really interesting look at um, at the ways that our societal views of, of such things can, can affect the lives of the people who are, you know, in those situations, and it's a really kind of an, it's a, it's a nice time piece, um, but it still definitely has ripples into today. And then so that, um, then, you know, so, then you're going to film and you're going to take that into a film at one point that you co-authored? Well, you know, we've been talking about it. I think it would make an incredible film and um, maybe even a series. Um, and there's so many fabulous uh, female roles in it. I mean, it's, it's chock full of women of, of all walks of life and um and their stories and takes so i really think it would be uh great we've, we've kind of been talking about it a little bit she has some contacts that she thinks would be good collaborators as well um as for original you know content that i'm creating aside from that it's um i have some ideas based on 
the characters that I mentioned before. Um, I started to do this show a few years back. I did a trailer for it where, where the characters kind of go out on the street and interview people. Oh, and, cool. Um, and then they have kind of a an office life. You know, they all work for the same uh, the same correspondence company. So they go out and they do their correspondent jobs. And then, um, so I would essentially be playing, you know, most of the characters involved. Um, although I would love to involve some of my very talented friends. So you like to do multiple characters. In the early stage. It sounds like you like to do multiple do. characters, Jennifer, especially when you talked about uh, Magic Funhouse and how you're going from one character to the next character. You're interested. You like that whole character acting thing for sure. Uh, I can't believe, again, tonight, yes. ABC, Dirty Dancing, check you out. And where can we find information on you? Are you on Twitter that people could tweet you out and stuff and root you on? tonight and all that stuff where can we follow you and find info on you that would be amazing um so yeah my twitter is at shemke which is my last name uh s-c-h-e-m-k-e um i'm on instagram uh i'm at the shempire uh s-c-h-e-m-p-i-r-e and then my website which is uh jennifer shemke.com well, fantastic. Thanks for taking the time, especially an exciting night for you uh, as well to take the time to come uh, on the show. And uh, best of luck in all your great ventures. Yeah, and and you're you. welcome to come back on anytime when you have new stuff to talk about. So thanks again for calling, Jennifer. Oh, God. I would love it. I'm off to the Korean ball. All right. Take care. Thanks again. <laughs> thanks, take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. 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 You're listening to The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show. You can check me out on Twitter at TotalTutor and NeilHaley.com. And uh, the holidays are coming. I can't believe it. Memorial Day. But uh, my guest uh, has a very, very interesting book and an interesting story. But also she might give me some tips to kind of get me ready for uh, Sunday. So I'm excited to welcome the program. I mean, for Monday. I'm excited to welcome the program celebrity chef Barbara Lynch, author of Out of the Line, A Life of Playing with Fire. How are you, Chef Barbara? Thanks for calling. I'm great. How are you doing? Fantastic. You Thanks know, for having me on your show. Oh, well, I just wanted to first say congratulations uh, on being uh, named 100 most influential people in uh, with time. I mean, that's got to just be an look at. The, I looked at that list and holy cow, what what a list to be on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still in shock. I'm like, oh my god, really me? <laughs> but um, I'll take it. It's it's great. Thank you. Yeah, so you you worked very hard, but you started in, in with humble beginnings. Am I correct, Chef Barbara? That it was not an easy life growing up for you. Uh, no, it's, um, yeah, no. My mom was a widow, and she had seven of us, and I was well, six of us, and I was the last of six. Oh wow! Okay, so okay, so the last of basically si- she was a busy lady. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so a, a big, a big family. I have, I have five kids of my own, so I understand. Of, uh, I was the only child, but now oh my with goodness. my wife and I, we have five kids, and we understand those those challenges. And to lose, to to, yeah. to be widowed, and how your mom was able to make it, and you were the last of them, so you had a lot of help, I guess, surviving with your siblings, didn't you? Oh, no. I mean, I think, uh, well, they were a bit older as well. So I think, um, I mean, my mother walked, you know, she'd worked like three or four jobs 
Microsoft Welfare. So she was a pretty busy, busy lady, and I um, was, uh, you know, never really didn't get any of the attention, or I really wasn't disciplined. So I was pretty creative as a kid, put it that way. Okay, so you didn't have of getting it, but. Yeah. So you got the practice, right? How did you practice your creativity, Chef Barbara? Um, a lot was just on friends first, and um, uh, by working on a boat uh, was my first one of my first cooking jobs. Uh, and then I just like I sort of knew if I could cook, I'd always have a job. Um, and even as a young teenager, so I had odd jobs all around, and then. I decided to um, give it a try in real kitchens, and uh, and now here I am. <laughs> so when you first got in, into a kitchen, were you were you definitely afraid at first when you first started to cook? Meaning you cooked for friends and tried different things, but then once you were training to become this, was it something like wow that this wow factor, or did it just come easily and naturally for oh, you? Yeah. Huh. I mean, I, I would say that I felt more comfortable in the kitchen. Uh, even till this day, it's still a wow factor that, oh, my God, this, this tastes great. Or, oh, people like this dish? You know, like, I'm never really satisfied with ounces, but the, the fact that, yeah, that, that whole wow moment is still a kicking, really. Um, it's, it's, it's always fun to still create and, and create dishes. Uh, absolutely, and 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 from that process. So tell us that. So you humble beginnings. Wh- where did you go when you first, you know, got your first job as a chef? Tell us that story. Um, my first job was basically on Martha's Vineyard, and I lied my way into this job. Um, he was looking for cooks, and I went in and asked to be, uh, you know, to apply for the cooks position, and he. Was I automatically said, "Well, there's no women cooks these days. You know, yeah. women don't cook, or don't you want to be a host or a server?" And I said, oh, "No, my. I want to cook." Yeah. And um, took a, I said, it took about an hour to convince him, and then he gave me the job. Uh, showed up the next day, and the chef quit. And then he said, uh, "Well, do you think you can do it?" And I said, "Absolutely. I'm making cohog chowder, Dover sole. I lied my whole way through this job. Anyway, I got, and um, it was." Amazing because it was a very successful dinner diner cruise, and um, after that, it was just right. I, I found what I love to do. That was it. So, when did you decide to go from chef to again put yourself again in the life of playing with fire, becoming an entrepreneur and a restaurateur? Because once you go from chef to you have to run everything, that's a different story, isn't it? Mm-hmm. For sure. Well. Yeah, I mean, I didn't come from a, uh, I didn't come from a financial background or a culinary background, or I never graduated high school, so I was always dependent on, um, you know, management to kind of run the books and run the operations. Um, and you know, uh, at one point in my thirty-year career, I had two managers that really just wanted to kind of get rid of me, the founder of the, or the owner of the company, because they thought they could do it better. So um, I was, you know, 15 years ago, or no, no, not 15. I'd say 10 years ago, I decided to get rid of that manager and and run the company myself. And um, I have to say, if I didn't learn it on the job um, and figured out that they really didn't know what they were doing, I don't think I'd have eight restaurants right now. So, yeah, coming out of the line, it was a big 
step for me, but um, successful nonetheless. And you took the chance. You 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 decided to get out of your comfort I, yeah. zone for sure. Because when you're placed in the yeah. circumstance that you were placed in your life, and you could just been just a server, meaning a server in a way of just okay, I'm just gonna I'm gonna play in the background. I'm not gonna take chances. And you decided, no way, no how, I'm going after this. And that's what sounds like the entire life. And that's what people, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you gotta take a risk, right? If you don't take a risk, what? Well, I actually had nothing to lose, so it was like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go for this. But um, I also felt like if I didn't get rid of this person, then what am I going to do with my 240 employees that have, you know, mortgages to pay, school loans to pay, and so forth? I mean, it's not going to work out the way it's going right now. So so I didn't want to let it collapse either. <clears throat> All right. Well, fantastic. Real quick tip for uh, for Monday. What would you recommend for uh, the, the the cookout uh, for us to go ahead and uh, try? What, what's the recommendation? Wood grill, low and low. I love I love cooking. Well, because I'm from New England, so we do a lot of seafood. So I love grilling oysters. Mm. I love grilling lobsters, whole fish um, on on charcoal. Um, like this, it's actually wood charcoal uh, from Japan that is amazing. It really retains the heat and uh, so you can cook long hours and so forth. And your book is available on Amazon and also, yeah, yeah. So are you there And your books available on Amazon and where else can we find information on you, Chef Barbara? Oh my God. Just Google Barbara Lynch. Everywhere. Okay. I understand for sure. Congrats again on the hundred, uh, being a hundred, hundred influential, uh, people in the world and good luck, uh, with your book. And thanks again for calling. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Thanks. Okay, take care. See you. You too. Bye-bye. You're listening to The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.